Welcome to the Dr. Dad's Podcast, where a naturopath and chiropractor come together each week to share lifestyle medicine, health advice, and inspiring interviews with some of the top experts in health and wellness, bringing you the latest in nutrition, exercise, ancient healing, toxins and detox, your microbiome, mindset, hormones, brain, and much more. Stay tuned. We're going to teach you how to experience growth daily. What's up, everybody? We're back with another episode of the Dr. Dad's Podcast. I'm here with Dr. David Wardy. Uh, how's it going today, buddy? Fantastic, brother. Very productive, busy day. How are you, man? Good. Uh, we recently decided that we're going to have to space out our podcast a little bit because uh, you're getting so busy. It's Life is busy. We're parents. We're all these things. But um, yeah, what, what, was, what was sort of the impetus for you that you realized that, oh, shit, I got to... I gotta slow down a little bit. Self care, man. <laughs> Honestly, like yeah. just to simplify, just self care. Like you know, I, between my time seeing patients, right, and then playing dad and husband and all everything in between, right. You know how it goes. Mm. I just find that I'm getting more and more scrimped for just a little bit of time here and there throughout the week, so I can go to the gym or I can do some of these yeah. other things, and I haven't been able to do them. So I'm like, mm. okay, I've got to pull away from something else let's figure it out so the first thing was like well let's try to go every other week on the podcast and see how that works out or maybe we can change the time but mm -hmm. yeah, man, i mean but that just goes to show you like we talk about this all the time how important self-care is and so many people neglect right they neglect yeah. themselves you know i heard something this week and i went to a conference i went to brim hall homecoming in arizona yeah, awesome photos yeah, we go every year. It's a really big conference for Bremal. He does quite a few throughout the year, but this is his big one where a lot of the docs that have followed him for a long time will come. And one of the presenters, it was interesting, they said, love equals time. Hmm. Interesting. And when you really think about that, it's absolutely right, right? I mean, it's everything we talk about, like self-care. If you're not mm. making time for yourself, where's the mm. self-love? Right. Mm. And how many individuals... They're constantly trying to love everybody else. They're caring for everybody else. They're giving their time to everybody else. And while they're doing this, they're completely neglecting themselves. So you true. Know, I had a lady come in, you know, and it's different for everybody, right? But she had her, her father was ill and he was at the latter end of his journey. And she had to spend time with dad and taking care of dad. And so she neglected herself for a couple of years, but she showed up in our office this week and she's like, okay, it's time for me now. And you see it a lot, right? You see this like years of neglect and then they want to come pile it up and say, okay, now I got to do something. So I think the secret of the sauce, right, is like how do we habitually make time for ourselves and love ourselves so that that doesn't happen, right? So yeah, I'll get off my soapbox, but yeah. No, it, well, it's funny because the soapbox is so relevant to what we decided we we're going to talk about today with our guests. So let me, let's introduce them and then we're going to dive into the the 20,000 foot view of what it means to to address self-care and, and where to start with our health because the direction to where to begin and the to filter out all, all the noise of everything that we're being told by different you know gurus in the the health space can be massively overwhelming so we're going to tackle that uh, conversation so we had the pleasure of having spencer feldman on our health ignited podcast who, who I, I like to call the mad scientist. He's a, he's just a disruptor in the field of health, which David, you know, you and I both know, like that's where so much wisdom comes from when we get to get to start questioning a paradigm that we've bought into. I don't care if it's a conventional or an alternative one. So this gentleman, he's got a company called Remedy Link, which you can definitely check out the website. We'll put it in the show notes. Incredible um, uh, supplements and suppository based medicine. He's got something called an electron charger, which we talked a lot about in the, the last podcast. Uh, I mean, just a massive disruptor in the field and, and just a wealth of information. So Spencer, just such a pleasure to have you here on the call with us, buddy. Hey, thanks for having me again. You know, it's, um, it's interesting what, what you were talking about, about, um, what a challenge it is, I think for people, uh, who are, trying to upgrade their health, whether they're, you have know, got something chronic going on or they're in good shape and want to get better. And, you know, I can take it, for, I could take for granted sometimes that I've been in the field for 30 years and, you know, to put yourself back into the beginner's mind and be like, okay, what would it be like if I didn't know any of this and I just got given a diagnosis or a loved one did and, and what would that be like? And, you know, um, 30 years ago or before the internet, if you were trying to find alternative medicine, uh, you know, you, you, you might 
uh, you know, a lot of the practitioners were, you know, on the down low and you'd have to know someone who knows someone or maybe go to another country. <clears throat> and now we have the opposite. Now that there's so much information there and um, some of it's really good well and well-meaning. Some of it is well-meaning but not good. So you get somebody who they found something that worked for their very particular situation and they want to shout it from the rooftops, um, but it's not for everybody. Or they found something that works for them, but they don't understand the long-term consequences. Like you'll get somebody that goes onto an all carnivore diet and they're feeling great, right? Because suddenly their, their damaged microbiome isn't being harassed by all the vegetable uh, matter and the lectins and the anti-nutrients and they feel fantastic and they're telling everybody about it and they feel great for years and years and years and then five years suddenly they can't eat any meat at all because they've functionally made a meat allergy for themselves and now they're painted into a corner because what can they eat so you've got people that know have good knowledge and mean well <clears throat> there's people that have bad knowledge and mean well and then there's have bad people have bad knowledge and don't mean well they're they're trying to just take advantage um they'll They'll make products that are really watered down with studies that aren't applicable to humans. And they'll just try to make a quick buck. And, you know, how does somebody who's trying to navigate and negotiate this, um, this landscape, this, in, this information landscape, find their way? And what, a, you know, what I think the three of us had come to as a, a kind of topic for the today's talk was, you know, the view from 20,000 feet, like, okay, you know, what you're really looking for as a practitioner old enough that they've had the had experience but not so old that they're stuck in an old paradigm and mm, someone that's really well connected someone who because you know you'll you'll also see this 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 functional split between people who are fully into the research and they know exactly what's going on but they don't have the time you know to see people and then they have the, the, the docs who see lots of people but that means that they just don't have the time to go to every conference and read every research paper so you know there's got to be, uh, you're looking for a team, if you can, of people, docs, maybe in their 40s and 50s, optimally, where they've been around long enough to know what's working, young enough still to have enough vitality and to keep doing research, and someone with a good heart. And so, you know, that's what I think that, um, you know, with the decades of combined experience that the three of us have, we can offer your clients today, just sort of this, hey, you know, what would you tell your own family or loved ones about how to just take care of themselves and for the kind of things that typically go wrong? Wow, you just laid it all out. That was amazing, Spencer. <clears throat> and I love how you shared that because, you know, Dave and I had talked about this before where when we got into practice, we just thought we could do everything. Like, oh, I will take it all on, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's so humbling to, to to look back at where we were when we were starting off to think, man, you, you think you have it all together and you hit so many important points when people are even considering, like, this is literally the first step. Where, where do you go for the information? And, and if, if you're a practitioner that you're, that you're trying to work with, A, doesn't have that experience, B, is, is too, too far gone or seen so many patients, but they have no way, they just keep treating the same thing the same way over and over again without, you know, diving deeper and, and fine-tuning their skills or learning more. I mean, you're going to hit so many roadblocks in your health and you might just give up on their, uh, on hope. You know, you might well, you give know, up on the idea that there's a chance for uh, you. So go ahead. You know, the, 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 the another challenge is, the medicine that we have to practice today is extremely different from the medicine of just just three years ago, right? Uh, ever since post-vaccinosis, there's a whole new class of things coming on. So, you you know, you it's more than any one practitioner can do. It's it's just not realistic. Um, so, mm -hmm. there's so much knowledge now. You really need to find a group of people or someone who's networked well enough to say, oh. Uh, you've done this. You've been exposed to that. Okay, that's not my that's not my expertise, but I know who it is. But what what I think we can offer is, um, the low hanging fruit, the the stuff that gives you the most bang for your buck. That if you haven't got these basic things fixed, and a lot of people don't, and a lot of people think they've got them fixed and they don't. So how do you even know when they're out? That let's let's talk about the basics because a lot of people don't have the basics down. And they think they do. And that's where you get most of it. So, for instance, uh, if we're talking about um, detoxifying, right? And detox is almost, it, it's, it's such an abused word in the industry because it's used, it's, um, it's one of the words that the FDA doesn't have jurisdiction over, quote unquote. So everybody sticks the word detox on their product. 
whether it's something that's just a diuretic that makes you pee a lot so you lose some weight or um, just some fiber all the way out to a serious, you know, a serious metabolic detox. So, you know, 30 years ago, detox wasn't, 40 years ago, detox wasn't that important because unless you had an occupational exposure, right, you're a welder breathing in metal fumes, you're in a dry cleaning company breathing in um, industrial solvents, you know, or you're you're applying, you know, pesticides and DDT. The world was not that bad. I mean, it wasn't pristine. We, we already started doing nu above ground nuclear explosions, but it wasn't what it is now, right? And so, here's here's a perspective I like to give people on toxins when they say, "Oh, you're, you know, you're 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 exaggerating the risk of it." So when a new chemical and there's millions of them coming out is brought into the industry, that's we're going to go into say our food supply, right? Um, what are done are there there are some tests uh, on animals and they try to find out the you know does it cause cancer does it cause birth defects does it uh, cause genetic damage um, any kind of diseases mess up the liver and they'll find the level at which it will not cause outright harm for a period of time so hey we tested it on these we tested it on these on these mice for two months we we killed them we looked their liver was fine their spleen was fine their brain was fine the heart was fine it's fine at this level. Okay, there's a series of flaws without kind of reasoning. First flaw: we're not rats. There's plenty of things that that will like dogs will get killed by chocolate, and we can eat it for lunch. So you know we're not immediately trans, uh, interconvertible with rat data. Okay. Second, two months is enough. What you really want to do is you want to see three generations. You want to see if it has birth defects two or three years down the line, right? And this is what happened with thalidomide. They didn't understand that optical versions of the same drug could have very different effects. So what would happen is they gave thalidomide because it was they didn't they didn't want to detox the women and deal with their hormones and deal with their nausea, and they gave them this drug, but it got flipped half of it isom uh, optically inside the body, and the racemized the flipped op uh, mirror image cause horrific birth defects. So we need to have a longer than longer window to see the what's going to go on with this. So the top one, we're not rats or mice. Two, the window's not long enough. Um, another issue is they are not taking into consideration the um the synergistic effects, right? So if you have a thousand drugs all below the threshold of which they cause damage, but just barely, but you add them all together, right? Now it's not a thousand fold, it's a hundred thousand fold because one, when, when you add things together, sometimes one plus one equals three, right? The, the, the effects of them to combine um, to make it worse. So we don't know the long-term effects of all the things, the food, the dyes, the agents, the, uh, the, the, the preservatives, the formaldehydes in the rug, the new car smell, all these things individually, sure, not a problem. You add them all together and we're in the middle of the world's largest medical experiment in history on, hey, what will happen if you expose an entire planet to subclinical levels of thousands and thousands and thousands of toxins, let alone the stuff that is outright toxic, like, say, aspartame, uh, you know, aspartamine that was brought in because Rumsfeld had some, I think, money in the game and overran the, the FDA, who at least had the, ball, had, had the wherewithal to say, okay, in a world full of toxic things that we let you get by, even that's too bad. You're causing tumors in every animal you give this to. Let's at least say no to this. And then I think the guy at the FDA was fired for it. So the we're in a time now where it's not neurosis to detoxify yourself, right? It's something that if we want to live long, healthy lives, if we want to be 70 and 80 and not hunched over and, and full, you know, with our, our full mental capabilities and still being able to smile and enjoy life, being able to detoxify yourself is something that we all have to learn how to do. I'm glad you brought this up for your first topic, man, of like the low-hanging fruit. You're absolutely right. I mean, we live, you know, this is, I think, the first time in, in human, you know, time that we've been this toxic i mean i've i've heard people talk about we're in a process of de-evolution at this point as a human society globally and it's because of the toxic load that we're having to deal with and i love the generation points that you're making i mean none of those studies are ever done 
but they do these types of studies on insects and other types of animals to see with, with each generation that passes that their health is actually getting worse and worse and worse. And you're right, we're like this giant experiment on a global level. They just keep dumping more and more chemicals out in the open. And it's like, well, let's see what happens. And it's funny, there's even research being done where they're finding different types of cancers and showing that there's contributing factors of toxicity and, and vaccines and all these other things. And yet we just still keep going. It's kind of like the wheel just keeps turning. And so very important for our listeners to understand that, like, like Spencer's saying, is toxicity is a real issue now. And it has to be, detox has to be done pretty regularly almost every year, uh, whether it's a mild detox or you're going to go do a heavy one every once in a while. I, if you ask me, it's, a, it's, a, it's absolute necessity now to, to optimize your health. And that's just because of the load that we're all dealing with, even if you're trying really hard not to take on a big load. Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, yeah, what we'll be starting, no, let's say like th- that is technically the elephant in the room, you know, especially over the last couple of years, we've seen that in a massive way. All these signals are going to start to come out. They already are uh, with, you know, increased mortality and all cause mortality, all these things, cancer signals are starting to rise. Um, there's signs that what we're doing is clearly not working. We're looking in the wrong areas, obviously conventionally, or like uh, as far as the regulating bodies are concerned, but where, where do we start, Spencer? Well, I, I want to make this really simple. And it took me, took me a, lo- a number of decades to grasp the simplicity of this, right? It's all about soap, right? If something is water-soluble, you're going to pee it out. That doesn't mean it won't cause damage. But once it's out, now you just have to do the repair work. It's when a toxin is fat-soluble that it hangs around, gets inside the membranes, and can continue to do its it's you know damage as long as it's there and hard hard to get rid of so the real question is how do we make fat soluble toxins water soluble and it's the, the way to think about it is if you've got a dish with some grease on it you know and you dunk the dish in warm water the grease is still there but you add a squirt of, of uh, dish soap and detergent and now the water changes in such a way that it can interact with the fat on the dish and the dish become the fat becomes water soluble and now you can get the fat off the dish right so the the soap turns the fat soluble toxin water soluble and you can rinse it off so what we're really looking for are classes of soaps that we can take internally that will have an affinity for the chemicals and metals in our body now in terms of metals those are called chelators and my favorite chelator is EDTA. We make a suppository uh, called metacardium with EDTA in it. And EDTA is a soap for lead, cadmium, arsenic, aluminum, so forth and so on. It will also do mercury. However, there's a different soap specifically for mercury that we can talk about. Mercury is a particular um, bear to deal with, right? And then there's another one, like if you're dealing with gadolinium, um, there's a lot of people that go and get MRIs. Now, for your listeners, if you ever get an MRI, please don't get contrast agent. And if you do, you want the contrast agent D-O-T-A, not D-P-T-A. You want it to be a form where it will not release the gadolinium, which is a heavy metal that they use for contrast, back into your body. And you should never do it if your kidneys are not 100%. Um, So there's a group of people that are going through a living hell now with gadolinium toxicity, and we're working on um, what to do to get rid of that. But for the vast majority of people, EDTA is the soap you're looking at. It's typically done by IV because it's a protein that'll get destroyed in the gut. So uh, it's either IV, but you can also take it as a suppository because there's no digestive enzymes in there. And to flush the metals out of the body once a year, great thing. Now, what's a little more complicated is flushing the chemicals out because although there's only six or so metals that, we're accum- that we are uh, going to be um, encountering in our lives, there's a, a million different chemicals. So it's a much more complex thing. Uh, and for that, what we want to do is we want to work with the body. And the body has a way of, of creating soap for chemicals. It's a two-step process. Phase one is something called cytochrome P450, and it alters the uh, chemical in such a way as to make it more reactive. It kind of repairs the way. And phase two is when a conjugating agent like glutathione, but there are many others, glucolactone, um, sulfur, um, certain amino acids, B5, uh, methyl groups, these will bind to this newly activated chemical 
that's so they've got this spot on that's been made receptive, and now it's turned the chemical water soluble and you pee it out. Okay, now where can people go wrong with this? Um, some people will do a coffee enema, which is the phase one, but won't have enough of the other cofactors and they're not going to get as much bang for their buck. Or someone just does a bunch of glutathione orally. It's not orally absorbed. Let's say they do glutathione rectally or IV or inhalation or liposomal. That's great, but it still needs the first part. So to act for it to work on. So you need, it's a two-part soap, right? We make a suppository. It's called Xenoplex. It has both parts in it, but it's a two-part soap. And then the body is able to take those toxins, react them fully, and out they go in the urine. And this explains why you get some people who have multiple chemical sensitivities. These are the people who are uh, in the elevator. Someone walks in with some cologne, and these people get sick as a dog. Well, what happens is they are fine on phase one, as are you. So if, so if, you, and I, if you and I are in an elevator, and somebody comes in with no sense of smell, is doused cologne all over themselves, and it stinks, both of our bodies are going to start upregulating the phase one. And so, and if there's someone with multiple chemical sensitivities in the elevator with us too, same thing will happen with them. But then what happens is we have the glutathione and the, all these other cofactors that bind to the now altered chemical and is rendered soluble. The multiple person with multiple, chemi multiple chemical sensitivity does not, and they they have now made their toxin more toxic because they've only taken it through half the phase, and now these people are really sick. And we're, you, know, you look at them, and you're like, well, what's wrong? And they're like, God, it's the clone. You're like, what's the big deal? The big deal is for them, they couldn't finish the process, and they're sick as a dog. If you take these people and you give them both phase one and phase two, they're going to be miserable for three or four days. But by the end of a week to 10 days, they're going to be completely different people. And they're the canaries in the, cage, in the, in the, in the coal mines, right? Um, we're all going through this process to a degree, right? We're all running out of phase two conjugates. So adding the ability to flush the chemicals out of your body along with the metals, great thing to do. Having said that, I want to talk to you about a, a couple of traps that can happen. Trap can you, number can one. You, so before we get into that, can you comment a little bit on uh, cytochrome P450? Like what, what, how do you upregulate that soap? Uh, coffee. Well, the classic way is a coffee enema. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like doing enemas. Uh, suppositories don't bother me. I mean, the suppository is you know, this, this big and it's in in 10 seconds. Um, so a little bit of ca uh, organic coffee rectally will trigger the liver. So basically, you're, 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 you're psyching the liver out. You're telling the liver, here come some toxins, these coffee acids. They're not really toxic, but the liver kind of acts like they are. And so the liver goes through the process of getting ready to clear all the coffee and while it's doing that, you're simultaneously giving it all these other phase two conjugates. And while it's doing that, it says, well, you know, now that, now that you mention it, there are all these other fat-soluble toxins that have been getting stuck inside our membranes. And, and we've got all this extra cytochrome P450 now, and we've got all this other conjugates. Let's just clean up. We might as well. All right, let's go to it. And then they just, the whole body gets flushed. Um, and usually it's not a bad experience, but sometimes people will have a bad detox experience. And it's important to understand that sometimes it's because they're really completely loaded and they're just going to have to barrel through it. But usually it's because the detox was poorly designed. So if you get somebody who goes on a product that stimulates phase one and not phase two, they'll get, they, some of them can get worse. Or you'll get people that will go and they'll, they'll feel terrible and the doctor will check them and say, wow, but I checked your urine. Look at all this metal coming out. Stay with it. And so they keep taking the product and they keep getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, they stop feeling like they're a failure and sicker than before. What the doctor didn't realize is what was coming out of them was in the product. It was bad zeolite. It was bad chlorella that was full of metals. And that is what was coming in the urine. And they were making their clients sicker. So as a rule, um, a if you're really toxic, okay, three days of not feeling good on a detox. And each day should be easier than the day before. If you're a couple of days into it and it's bad and getting worse, that detox is not well designed. Leave it alone. That's awesome. Such such good input there, and 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 such an important place to start. So you're about to to dive in a little bit on. You said there's just before I cut you off. You said there's a couple pieces that you want to you want to pay attention to. Maybe that was it. Oh yeah, just the fact that you know we've got these these detox traps, and, and I'll give you another one. Um, so there's actually phase three. 
phase one and phase two are the two parts for turning it into this uh, the 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 soap aspect of turning it in water soluble phase three is when it leaves the body and it's either going to go out the bile and the stool or it's going to go out the kidneys and the urine um which is why we have another product called glitamins for supporting the body and making sure those pathways are open um you've probably heard of a liver gallbladder flush have either of you guys ever done that yes what were your experiences so I did a liver gallbladder flush a couple years ago, and I want to say I passed probably roughly like around a thousand stones there mm -hmm. from very small, small, small to I probably had some that were like pea size all the way to some that were maybe like the half of a golf ball size passed through. Mm -hmm. So I, I've had some some pretty good success just with getting the gallbladder to, to release a lot of stones and and. Um, Followed that with a little bit of a soft cleanse. And then I've done that one probably every year since then, but didn't get as many stones after the first one. I just see very few after that initial. Mm -hmm. But it's an experience. You do definitely see a shift afterwards. Uh, you poop better for sure. Motility gets better. Uh, yeah, so there's there's there's, a, there's honestly some, some big changes. You know, when you play with the liver a little bit, you'll see things as far as changes in brain fog and your head space, energy can go up. And there's a lot of things when you clean those guys out because they're just the snowball effect when they're not working well, right? It's just so big. How about yeah. you, Nick? Have you ever uh, tried that? Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I've done it, like, maybe I'm just more skeptical. When I when I saw those, like, little nuggets come out, I wasn't convinced that those are gallstones. I mean, that we were actually, we were detoxing on this, like, Philippine island, and it was this amazing vibe and whatnot, and this, this lady was sort of, like, watching us or coaching us as we were doing a or enemas on ourselves and and she's like yeah look these are all these little stones coming out but you know actually i was kind of hoping that you would give some opinion on that i i wasn't sure if that was me just emulsifying the fat that i would you know because we mm -hmm. took the big chug of the, the apple or the, the olive oil before bed and we did this whole like apple uh sort of preparation process uh and then did the olive oil at nighttime and i wasn't sure if it was just emulsified fat or if it was actually stones that were coming out but i gotta say obviously after i finished that that detox retreat i did feel amazing but it was also fasting and doing a bunch of other things but anyways that was my one of my more obvious experiences i've done something similar since then but like david said i didn't notice the the little stones right so here's one of the things with the liver gallbladder flush number one it's it's not that not the most comfortable thing to do but so what okay um, the issue with it is, um, some of the stone, some people get out stones and some people will actually get out artifact that's created by the olive oil reacting, uh, in the, inside the body. And, you know, the, the best way to do it is to go get an ultrasound of your gallbladder ahead of time and, and, and see if you have sludge or stones in there. The other is you can take out, um, you know, you can collect the stones in a strainer and, uh, you know, kind of analyze them and inspect them and, you know, see, are they hard like rocks? Are they green and mushy and, and inside? Um, and this is another trap people can get into. They can, they say they're told, keep doing liver gallbladder flushes until the stones are all gone, not understanding that they're creating some of those stones. And so they keep doing it over and over again. And each time they do, they're flushing all their bile out. Well, bile's expensive to make, which is why we reabsorb 95% of it. And so when you keep flushing it all out, the body gets low on bile. And what happens to a liver that's low on bile, but it makes more gallstones. So that's another one of those traps where, you know, so we make a, a suppository glow glitamins, and the idea is not to give birth in a heroic fashion to golf ball-sized stones. <laughs> the idea is to slowly just melt them out and never even see anything. It just, you know, one day, you know, you find that that's soreness under your rib cage, and the uh, bad feeling you had after greasy meals is gone, and, you know, uh, maybe you know, your skin tone is a little better, and you're better at dealing with rage. I mean, those are all classic signs for gallbladder issues. Um, so that that's another kind of thing. But um, so detox, I think, I think... Uh, you know, it was it was known when we when ninety five percent of the the U of the world population, the U S population anyway, lived on farms, um, or you know, back in the eighteen uh, hundreds, you knew that you had to depower, you had to deworm. Oh gosh, sorry about it. You know that you had to deworm all of your animals uh, once a year, and that included the animals on uh, the human animals, right? Because, um, and I think. And that's a good segue into going into parasites. But I think that part of what has to be modern human knowledge is, okay, we have to detoxify ourselves once a year. It's just part of what we do. It's just you live in the 21st century. It's not a big deal. You don't have to make a big deal out of it. But, you know, it's just something nice you're going to do for yourself once a year for you and your family. Flush the junk out, and then you don't got to think about it anymore. 
which takes us to, interestingly, I would say parasites. And, you know, um, parasites were, you know, uh, endemic. Uh, uh, you know, you walk around barefoot in the soil in the south, you'd get into your feet, they were in the food, they were everywhere. Um, and so parasites are another way people can get themselves in trouble. Um, first off, if you tell someone, if you tell a doctor you think you have parasites, they're going to think you have delusional parasitosis. They're going to think to themselves, well, first they'll say, have you traveled to a third world country? No. Okay, this guy's crazy. Um, here, I've got a, I've got something for you. They'll write you a script for Valium or something, right? Because they think or they're told that parasites are not a first world problem. They are definitely a first world problem. Anybody that has a cat has got a greater than 50% chance of toxoplasma Gandhi in their brain. Um, you know, so what do you do for parasites? Well, you know, there's a couple of options. There are toxic herbs um, where you try to kill the parasite or stun it and kill it. Um, and then there's things that will try to make... Now, if, if you try to go the path of killing a parasite, um, there are two options. One is you succeed in killing it, but now you've got a dead parasite and it dies where it is with its load of viruses and bacteria that's inside of it. So if it starts to break down, all those come out. Uh, and then uh, if the body, if, and then now the body's got to try to encase that in like this little white varnix coating to try to isolate it out like a little pearl irritant in the body. So that's not the best way to go. Uh, another option that's not so great is you don't kill the parasite, you just piss it off. And now the parasite starts digging deeper into the tissue, deeper into the liver, deeper into the lungs, deeper into the heart, deeper into the brain, deeper into the eyes. And now it's really hard to get it out because it's, it's completely, you know, gone, you know, hip deep into, into places where, you know, where angels fear to tread. Um, so the way I like to get rid of parasites is I like to ask them to leave, convince them to leave, make them want to leave. So, I mean, I want you to imagine that you, you, you've had a nice party, um, but um, your, your drunk uncle, you know, your, your, your uncle with a drinking problem came over and he's drinking and he's knocking over things and he's getting argumentative. And, uh, you know, you could get it. You, you could try to roughhouse and force the guy out and maybe you'd succeed. Maybe you get hurt. Maybe, you know, things would get broken. Um, or if you're really clever, you say, Hey uncle, um, thanks so much for coming. I'm so sorry. We're out of alcohol. It just went dry, but you know what? Um, there's this amazing bar down the street and, um, why don't you, uh, head on over there? Uh, we'll get someone to drive you and you'll have a great time. And then, you know, maybe we'll see you later on tonight. You know, when we've got some more, we'll call you when we've got some more. And then he goes, cause he wants to go there, right? It's, it's not a fight. You've convinced him it's, it's in his best interest. So how do you convince parasites it's in their best interest to leave? And you can do that actually with electricity. Um, if you go on YouTube and type in like electricity, 12 volt battery, fishing, and worms, you'll come up with these videos of country folk who are, go down to the riverside with a 12 volt battery. They stick by the river, they put electrodes on it, jam them in the wet soil, and a, a minute later the worms come out because they just can't stand the electricity, right? So that's, you know, we, we've made this device called the electron charger, which I made for reasons other than parasites. But one of the first people to get it was a woman with stage four cancer, and she told me she passed two cups of worms. Yeah, wow. uh, using it. Um, so, you know, now most parasites you can't see with the naked eye. You know, most of them are amoebic or tiny little things. But you'll occasionally get get the wrigglers. You know, the 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 actual worm shaped things, and and sometimes even the liver flukes come out. So deworming oneself, uh, and you could argue I don't live on a farm and I don't travel third world. I'm like, okay, how about the migrant workers from third world countries who are not given up places to go to the bathroom? And wash their hands when they're out in the fields picking your green beans and your strawberries and your what have you. The things that still require a human hand to deal with that haven't been automated yet, right? Um, you So you we are all, you know, unless you're cooking everything you eat or never eat meat, you are exposed to parasites. And, you know, um, I got into the point where I, I think I can tell from someone's voice on the phone with me when it's parasites because there's a certain there's a certain something to the way in which they speak, the way in which they're thinking. And half the time someone thinks they have parasites. And I'm like, look, I know you think it's parasites. I don't think it is. You don't sound like the way people sound when they get parasites. And I, I wish I could explain it to you. Maybe you, you know yourself, you've recognized that there's a certain kind of, I don't want to call it crazy, but there's a certain way that the brain of people who have parasites get affected that if, once you've seen it enough times, you're like, that person's got parasites. That person's brain is, is reacting to parasites. I can tell it in their behavior. Right. Um, so 
And then sometimes I'm listening to somebody and they think they think they need this and they think they need that. And I'm like, I think it's, you know, I'm like, I I'm not a doctor. I can't say this is parasites, but gosh, you know, um, how would you feel about a good antiparasitic cleanse? Right. And the nice thing about a good antiparasitic protocol, unlike the poisonous drugs, is if you do it right and you don't have any parasites in you, you haven't hurt anything. Right. Right. First, do no harm. So. Um, yeah, I mean, our, our charge is great with parasites and other things, but I think parasites are another low-hanging fruit, another great way, because, you know, parasites manipulate the immune system so that you, the immune system doesn't fight them. Well, when the immune system doesn't fight parasites, there's a whole bunch of other things the immune system doesn't fight, like cancer, like all sorts of other things. So having parasites is like basically a, uh, turning, you know, knocking the immune system down, you know, several orders of magnitude. I mean, the parasites themselves might not cause that much damage, but what they do in order to get your body not to attack them is the real problem, from my perspective. That's super helpful to, to hear from that perspective. I mean, because they they can be something that sounds so uh, out of reach, and 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 also like that. Well, that can't be my problem, and so you know, but bringing attention to the fact that you know that the likelihood of of all of us having some load uh, of them in, in our system is you know it's just a reality of living on this planet so that that's super helpful uh david do you want to share anything there like, well no i mean i just think it's interesting and i'm glad you brought that up because conventional medicine doesn't ever want to recognize that that's actually an issue and i think they're just barely starting to like dump more research into addressing parasites and these types of things but Spencer, I love the way you described how to go after them. You know, I don't think I've ever heard anybody, you know, using, I think you said you have like an electron charger that you're using to, to go after parasites. I mean, that makes sense. I mean, uh, and do you put any products along with the electron charger when you're trying to do these cleanses? Is that part of Yeah, the so, you know, good point. Um, when I suspect parasites, um, in, in addition to the electron charger, which, uh, you know, I like to have people put over their abdomen, um, and then, you know, I, you got to give them fair warning, got to be, look, just things may come out of you. And if you don't want to know if things are coming out of you, when you go to the bathroom, don't look and just flush, right? You know, no one is going to judge you. That's going to freak you out. And some people are like, no, I want to see what was in me. And, and they'll say, you know, I, you know, you get pictures of, you know, uh, mason jars uh, or, you know, uh, mason jars with uh, alcohol and all sorts of creepy things that came out. And I'm like, great. Um, so, you know, there's, so... I, I've got this paleo kind of angle to the way I think. And so I was thinking about how we eat that's different from how we ate 10,000 years ago. And one of the things that's different, two of the things that's different, is one, our food's not fresh. And two, it's been um, bred, genetically bred uh, to be different. When I mean not fresh, I mean if you were to eat um, uh, oregano, fresh oregano because you happen to have some growing in a, in, a, in a pot in your outside in your kitchen garden that's an entirely different experience than having irradiated dried oregano that's been sitting um you know in a in a jar in glass for six months in the, in the supermarket because um, all these the essential oils are gone within a few hours and the essential oils are one of the ways in which plants protect themselves they have the same viruses fungi parasites cancer bacteria that we have to deal with um so they secrete these essential oils that knock them out. And when we eat plants that are fresh, we get those essential oils. We have basically outsourced our immune system to the plant kingdom, which is one of the reasons I'm not a fan of a full carnivore diet because there's a benefit to plants. You just have to do it intelligently. Um, so the first thing is we've lost the essential oils. And the second thing is we have shifted the plants from sweet, from bitter to sweet, right? Um, grapes and apples in, the, in, in Roman days were bitter, sour things. Um, car uh, carrots. Uh, we've turned these things. I mean, these are these are sugary monstrosities compared to what they were uh, ten thousand years ago. And by making them sweeter, they are um, more palatable. But by removing the bitters, the bitter are the are the second class of medicinals that plants use. Essential oils are the first. Bitters are the second. And bitters work to confuse bacteria. They work on something called quorum sensing, where they basically interfere with the ability of these microorganisms to communicate with one another. Because when they work together as a group, as a biofilm, as a super community, they're orders of magnitude more resilient, more intelligent, more, more resourceful than when they are all individually trying to figure out what's going on. So when you knock out their communication lines with bitters, 
they're all on their own and they're a lot easier to pick off. So I made a product called Zoibin. It's got uh, a bunch of essential oils and bitters in it. It tastes god awful. Uh, sorry, shouldn't take the Lord's name in vain. It tastes pretty bad um, and uh, on purpose. So what I would say is, look, you're getting super sweet fruit and, and vegetables all day long. You know, just deal with it. Just take a little swig of this now and again to balance out the fact that you uh, have got this strangely abstracted and altered food source. So even if you're eating super uber healthy, you know, even if you're growing all your own food, the seeds you're using are not normal. Even if they're not GMO, these are not the kind of things we were raised on. So that is something that I would like to add in with the parasites. That's crazy, right? I mean, man kind of stepped in and decided, well, let's just change this and let's change that. And like, you go how many decades down the road and our whole food supply has changed. Everything from we bleach things because they say Americans don't like the color to we strip things of, you know, I mean, and... I haven't even heard that about the apples and the grapes, but that makes complete sense, right? I know they're doing it to our vegetables and our fruit just to alter the taste of these things. But I love the point you're making about the bitters and the essential oils because all these things that I think in other countries that they eat and don't think twice about because they're getting it fresh, our food is so processed and, and we've had a million things done to it. Like you're saying, the seeds aren't even the same at this point. And we can't get these essentials that we need to fight these things off like parasites all the time. Mm. So, very good points man so so you're saying that the zoibin that's um that's basically a biofilm disruptor is it or how, well how i can't you make it? any claims what i can yeah. say is that when i wanted to try to eat in a primitive manner and realized i couldn't with the foods that even i could grow that was my solution to it and um i didn't know what this product was going to do I simply said, it seems like a good idea, and I'm going to make it available to people who want to experiment. And I have people using it for the darndest things, um, and a lot of people swear by it. Um, it. It's just, the body can do a lot of things if you can just set it up for success. And evolutionarily, it has been, we have been growing side by side with the pharmacopoeia of plants for hundreds, 100,000 plus years in our current form, right? Mm -hmm. And to suddenly in the last 10,000 years yank away that, you know, I don't know if in the X number of what, 30 generations it's been in the last 10,000 years, if we have had the ability to um, shift, alter and, and, and make up the slack, like, you could say that now our, you know, um, our, we're going to, as time goes on, we're going to have bigger and bigger livers to deal with the toxins, right? We're going to start seeing people with, you know, just the shape of the human body is going to change to, to deal with the fat, right? So we're going to change to deal with these things. The body is going to alter. The immune systems will alter. Um, but it won't necessarily happen in a single human time frame. So for myself, um, knowing that I'm going to be dealing with these biofilms, and, and we could talk about biofilms too. That's a whole fascinating topic about, um, you know, it, so, all right, let's talk about biofilms for a second. Um, the body is not sterile. It's not just the gut. There, is, there are microbiomes everywhere. There's a microbiome in the brain, the lungs, and the liver. Every different square inch of skin has a different uh, ratio of bacteria in it. Uh, the, the, the urogenitals, everything has a bacterial um, group there, and you want to make sure the right one's living there. And this is one of the problems with antibiotics: is it knocks out the species of can knock out the species of one particular area, and then let something bad get in there. Um, but one of the things that happens is these biofilms form, and the way in which um, Koch uh, Koch's postulates, uh, the guy who kind of discovered germ theory, um, the, he was looking at the cause of some really nasty planktonic bacteria, meaning bacteria that kind of free float around like cholera or whatever and then you get it and even a healthy person who gets it can kill them and modern medicine is based on observing culturing and killing these free-floating plectonic bacteria and thank god they did right because before then you know a lot of people died of bacterial infections a lot of people you know i mean you might say all those old doctors giving antibiotics to everybody for everything 80 years you know 70 years ago understand that they watched a lot of people die in three days these are doctors who would, someone would come in and um, 
would be fine on Tuesday and dead on Friday from a bacterial infection. So yes, they were thrilled with antibiotics. They just didn't understand and overshot the mark and didn't realize that you have to reinstate the gut microbiome afterwards and how to do that. And I can talk about that. Um, so these planktonic bacteria don't make biofilm. They just float around and uh, they're very aggressive. But uh, there are 95% of the, of the bugs we deal with are not as aggressive. They're composting agents. They're opportunists. And they get in and they don't grow really fast. And they make a slime layer that the immune system can't penetrate called the biofilm. And they hang out in there. And they are kind of waiting to see if the body is strong or not. And as the body starts getting weaker, they start setting up shop and sending out you know, uh, spores to colonize distant tissues in the body and causing chronic disease. So knowing how to disrupt the biofilm so that you can get the immune system into it, it's an important trick. But you're never going to be free of biofilm because even good bacteria make biofilm. So it's not that you want to clear biofilm. I mean, there's Arnold Arrett back in the, you know, 80 years ago who was talking about the mucus mucusless diet system, saying you must have no mucus in your body. No, no, you, you need some mucus in your gut and in your mucus membranes, but the right amount, right? So yes, essential oils, um, are disruptors of biofilms. And when you disrupt the biofilm, you make it a thousand times more sensitive to whatever it is you're going after it with. So, you know, a bacteria in a biofilm is a thousand times more resistant to any drug or an antibiotic or even herbal mix than if the biofilm was disrupted. Uh, so you want to be able to break it up because the, immune, the white blood cells will get in it, they'll go about two cells deep, and then they're stuck and immobilized. So yes, that's an important thing to know how to do. And it's nothing we never had to think about because as long as you were just eating food 10,000 years ago, you got the essential oils, the biofilms are held at bay, you got the bitters, the bacteria was confused, right? So there's that. Have you have you heard of um, turpentine being used for biofilm busting? Absolutely. So Absolutely. What, are your, what, are your, what are your thoughts on that? Huge fan of it. And, and, and I think calling it turpentine does it a disservice because yeah, you'll find turpentine totally. right, in the hardware section as a paint thinner. Yeah. It's, pine, it's essential oil from the pine tree, Yeah. right? And I use that. In one of that's one of the ingredients is the essential oil of the pine tree. Is it turpentine? Yes, no, right? Classically, yes, no, it's not the stuff you're getting in, in the hardware store. It's the essential oil of the pine tree, just mm -hmm. as you could have the essential oil of clove or the essential oil of thyme or essential oil of oregano. It's actually wonderful for you if you get clean essential oil, pine oil, and you know how much to use because you can yeah. overdo it and knock yourself and knock yourself out. Yes. Right. There's, a, there's a dosage to it. Well, it's interesting because we I've used that topically on on my kids when they've got congestion in their lungs. Mm. And it's like I mix it with a, a homeopathic cream for just sort of congestion, lymphatic flow and whatnot. And I'm I mean, it seems to work better than just with that with that cream on its own. So I, I feel like there's some disruption and you know penetration that's happening across the the transdermal area. Essential oils are fantastic. The challenge is most people only think of them as smells. Right. You know, the scent, you know, that they're going to put on is cologne. And out of, you know, when I was designing Zoidman, I got the textbook on essential oils and it had, I don't know, three, 400 different essential oils in it. And I went through and anything that was, would cause birth defects or cancer or sensitization or liver issue, yada, 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 got crossed off. And out of 400, I found five. Mm. Right. So it, it, <laughs> there's not that many essential oils you can actually eat on a gen, on a daily basis, but there's some that you can and you should. From my perspective, mm -hmm. awesome. So we so we hit on detox, we hit on parasites, biofilms. What are what are some other low hanging fruits that you feel like are important in this? Yeah, discussion? let's talk about let's talk about the microbiome. Um, you know, if if there's a hurricane coming and people run out to the store, what's the first thing they buy, and that there's a run on toilet paper, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's 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 say that you wanted to buy a horse, right? And this is the 1800s, right? And you're tasked with going and buying a horse. So you go and, and you go to the horse dealer and, and the guy goes, I got a great horse for you. And you're like, sure, how much do you want? He goes, I want, you know, five gold pieces. I'm like, okay. And you go to the horse and you open the horse's mouth. That's the first thing you do. You look at its teeth. Why are you looking at its teeth? To well, see how healthy it is. It's the beginning of the microbiome. Health, but also how old is it? That's exactly. why you never look a gift horse in the mouth. You never ask how old it is if it's being given to you. You just say thank you because it, the gums will recede. And so by the, how long the tooth is, you know, oh, this horse isn't five. This horse is eight. Come on mm -hmm. now. Right, right. Is the horse healthy? Absolutely. 
no problem. Put your hand on the back of the horse. You slide it as you go around his backside so it knows where you are and doesn't kick your head off, right? And you lift up its tail and you look. And what do you see? It soiled itself. There's horse poop all over the place. You drop the tail and you're like, what are you going at? This horse is eight years old and it's got a sick gut because no healthy animal soils itself. I'm going to say that again. No healthy animal soils its own backside. They, you don't see horses after they go to the bathroom squatting down on the, on the prairie and rubbing their butt in the grass to clean themselves off, right? No animals. Well, animals sometimes will do that if they're sick, right? But yet they're not supposed to do that. They don't need toilet paper. Why are we different? We're animals. Why do we need toilet paper? Because we're soiling ourselves, because we're sick, because our gut is not healthy, right? Mm. So when That's you go to one. the bathroom and you, you use toilet paper and you wipe, there should be nothing there. And a lot of people are going to hear that and go, You're, uh, no way, not possible. I use three, I use five, I don't want to admit it, I have to wipe seven times, it's a catastrophe. Um, and this is why people are going and running there to get toilet paper, because their guts are they're catastrophically ruined. Mm. Okay, so the goal is to get to the point where you do not need toilet paper. And it is easily done. So let's talk about how to do it. This is this um, this part of the podcast will probably be the one that people are going to have to listen to over and over again because <laughs> who's not guilty of that, right? Like who hasn't been there? Yeah, right. So, um, I'm look if you can spend six hundred dollars and get a stool test and know all the species that are in there and so forth and so on, great. But I'm gonna, there's three quick down and dirty things you can do on your own to find out. One, do you need toilet paper? And the answer should be no. Two. How long does it take between when you eat and when you go to the bathroom? And someone will say, I'm not constipated. I go every day. I'm like, yes, but what came out of you today on the 24th, what day did that go into you? If it went into you on the 14th and you go to the bathroom every day, but it's from 10 days ago, that's a problem. So you take a tablespoon of liquid chlorophyll, green stuff, and you drink it and you count the number of hours it takes until your stool turns green. 18 to 24. That's what you want. For most people, it'll be 48 to 36, sometimes 72, sometimes... I mean, the doctors will tell you it's normal to go to the bathroom from three times a day to once a week. That's not normal. That's catastrophic. But they don't know how to fix it. And, they, and it, All right, you could say it's, it's not normal, but it's average. And there's a difference between normal and average, right? We, cannot, we should not misconstrue the two. So what do we need to do for a ruined gut? So the first thing you'd say is, well, I'm just going to go to the store and, and uh, I'm going to get some probiotics and I'll eat some more sauerkraut and some yogurt. Well, the bacteria that are available commercially are, at this moment, not the ones you need. These are the ones that grow easily. Like the, um, A lot of them are, are meant for infant guts, not for human, the bifidises. Um, the, la the lactobacillus are good, but really they only represent a tiny fraction of what should be in your gut. What really should be in your gut um, it's very hard to get. Um, we could do a podcast where I could give you a link of where you could get some of these really important probiotics that a lot of them you can't even get here in the U.S. for the gut. Um, so a lot of people, you know, were on formula because especially my generation, mothers of, mothers of people in my generation were told by doctors, you don't want formula. That's That's primitive, old, you know, poverty thinking you want the latest and greatest science has to offer your baby you want formula you don't want milk you don't want breast milk sorry you want formula the latest and greatest that stuff was terrible it was sugar water and cheap protein and ruined the guts of a generation of people now unless you've taken fluoroquinolones unless you've taken cipro and its derivatives you probably still have the bacteria you need they're just barely hanging on in dormant forms and if you feed them properly they will repopulate you well this takes us back to how are we eating so just like we're not eating like just like we're not getting the essential oils and bitters of 10,000 years ago we're not getting the prebiotics of 10,000 years ago so how does a hunter-gatherer eat hunter-gatherer eats mostly tubers every third day um, they would they would luck out and get to get meat they would not, you know, the, the carnivores that think hunter-gatherers are eating meat every day. No, no one was that good of a hunter. I mean, maybe in the in the maybe in the in the rainforests where you know there's just meat everywhere, and all you got to do is you know stick your bow and arrow and shoot it randomly, and a monkey comes down. But 
by and large, you know, like if you look at the Hods of Tanzania, it's like every th every three days. They were eating a lot of tubers. They were eating some seaweed if they were on the coast, a little bit of honey, a lot of insects, mushrooms. Um, so what I did is I looked at the kind of foods that primitive people, hunter-gatherers, would eat. And I looked at the prebiotics they would get. And I thought, wow, um, we are not getting these now. We're not getting anything close to these now. And the microbiome is responsible for regulating your immunity, your fertility, your... Um, your brain development, your blood sugar, your neurotransmitter levels, it runs everything. People think your gut's your second brain. It was not your second brain. It's your first brain. This is the second brain. We were, we were worms before we were, uh, before we were mammals, right? If you want to go back down the tree of life. So the gut came first and it was doing all of these things. So the gut originally had every or was doing the work of every organ. It was detoxifying like the liver. It was banned. It was secreting neurochemicals like like the like the endocrine system. It was doing all these things, and then we specialize and outsourced, right? But it still has the capacity to do all those things to run your to run your immune system, to run your your neurotransmitters, to run all these functions. And all it's asking for is the scraps, the 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 fibers and sugars that you can't digest. We don't digest oligosaccharides, and so there's this. We can break down simple sugars and, and turn them for fuel, and we can break down complex sugars like carbs. But the, the sugars in the in-between stage, the oligosaccharides, we do not have the enzyme to break down. They make it to the large intestine, and the microbiome is supposed to eat that. It eats our leftovers and, in return, gives us amazing gifts, right? And we don't feed it, and it's, it's, it's hanging on by its fingernails. And so people are like, oh, the, you know, they're... they're Anybody who comes with any, basically any kind of problem that is not regulatory, is where the regulation, where the homeostasis isn't working, their immune system is too strong or too weak, their neurotransmitters are too high or too low, their blood sugar is too high or too low. The, any, these are all, my first thought is this is the microbiome because it, sh it, it should be tasting the blood moment by moment through sensors and manipulating epigenetically and through gene, uh, by the genes what your body is doing for you moment by moment. Uh, and again, it's 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 asking for so little. It's asking for these oligosaccharides that you can't digest anyway, but they're not in our food anymore. Uh, and in the same way that uh, I realized that I was not going to be able to get the essential oils and bitters that I could 10,000 years ago, I realized I didn't really want to eat like a hunter-gatherer. I didn't want to be chewing root, um, um, tubers all day long and eating insects. I mean, you know, yes, did I eat termites when I was doing survival training in the Belize jungle? Sure. Um, tastes like caraway seeds. Do I want to do that regularly? Yeah, I know, you know, World Economic Forum, no thank you. Uh, I, it's not my cup of tea. I could talk to you about what I do for protein. So um, we make a product called Panaceum. It replicates to the closest I can research what we would be getting if we were successful hunter-gatherers with a wide acreage roaming and eating lots of things with the men going at the meat and fishing and the honey and the women going and getting the root vegetables and the and the and the stems and the and and the leaves and things so forth and all coming back and making a nice stew and that's and what people will tell me a week later is i know you said it was going to happen that i wasn't going to need toilet paper i didn't believe you and i yeah but it happened so you know because you know it's like they're, they're they're kind of um they feel shy talking about it. I'm like, whatever. So I'm hey, congratulations. You know, so that's great. Um, so mostly, um, we just need to grow the ones we've already got in there that are barely hanging on. Having said that, there are some nice things that you can add in Oxalobacter, uh, Oxalobacter for breaking down oxalic acid. Uh, that's one that typically gets destroyed bacteria. Um, you know, uh, I can give you a list of some of the more rare ones that are nice to kind of collect. And what I like to do is I have a, a medical grade uh, fermenter, but you can just, you keep it at 95 degrees. So I I'm working on the perfect ratio. I mean, you can use carrot juice. You can grow these things in carrot juice. They go really well. In two to three days, it'll be sour and bubbly. You drink it down. And basically you've outsourced your microbiome and now you're getting massive amounts of short chain fatty acids, which is part of what these things make, right? And so I, I was drinking enormous amounts of carrot juice until my, my partner looked at me and she said, honey, I'm like, yes. She goes, you're turning into a Simpson. You're turning yellow. I'm like, really? She goes, because I don't, I don't look in mirrors um, anymore. Yeah. And uh, she goes, yeah, yeah, you, you're looking like a Simpson. I'm like, and I looked in the mirror. I'm like, 
It's not just the lighting shakes. No, no, no. And so it was, I, was, I had overdone the um, beta carotene, so I had to stop that. I'm, I'm getting back into it slowly. I'm not doing a quarter of it a day because it was so good it was addictive. Um, and so I'm working on manip um, coming up with a growth medium, which is probably going to be uh, agave and coconut water. Uh, and when I've got that fixed, I, I can share it with you. And then, you know, we'll make it available like, okay, you know, um, mix these two things and some water. And then, you know, mix these two sugars, uh, this, this amount of water. Uh, uh, probiotic of your choice, hold it at 95 degrees and you will make, rather than going to the store and getting something with, you know, 2 billion units that may or may not even be alive anymore of the bacteria that you only needed when you were two years old, you're going to have, I don't, we don't usually know, use word, word numbers this big, you know, uh, a lot more zeros at the end, you know, quintillion, quadrillion, whatever amounts of the stuff. And, uh, and that's going to, um, overpower the the bad guys it'll be in the small intestine causing SIBO and all sorts of fun things that's amazing you you shared so much information today Spencer it's it's just so helpful for the listeners uh, I I know the next time there's a pandemic uh, we'll, we'll just stock up on the panaceum instead of the toilet paper and we'll just start handing out like candy <laughs> so if they yeah, ever, yeah, ever do to like really feed their microbiome I mean it's such a simple concept it's so important it's so missed it's just over the heads of most people they don't they don't pay attention to the fact that the reason they're not feeling well is because the the microbiome you know like you said hanging on by a thin thread uh that's powerful information um quick question have you followed uh, william davis and he's got his uh he talks about his his yogurt that he says is is cyber or sibo proof and in one month if you start his yogurt program i don't know if you followed any of what his i've had um I'm aware of it, and uh, no doubt some people are getting results. Um, one thing rarely helps everyone. Yeah. Um, and SIBO is very complicated because you have to get the bile moving. You have to get to make sure the, the, the major motor complex is moving properly. You have to make sure that the, uh, that the, uh, the gut wall has, is, isn't leaking because of... Um, uh, the glutes causing uh, upregulation of uh, certain elements. So SIBO is a, is a bit more complicated. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Yeah. You know, so you don't want, you have to bring the zonulin levels down. There's a lot of stuff you have to do with SIBO, which yeah. for the, those who've never heard of it, SIBO, small intestinal microbial overgrowth, um, is that bacterial overgrowth, but now we realize it's not just bacteria, it's, my, it's all sorts of microbes. So I call it SIMO rather than SIBO. Yeah. I love it. There, there's so much more to talk to you about, Spencer. We'll get you back for part two uh, because obviously we just scratched the surface. But I think the foundation that you laid out for today, like that 20,000 foot of looking down and just addressing these big, like these these are huge things that we can all do something to tackle. And you shared such amazing wisdom today. Uh, David, anything you want to? Uh, this has with? been great. We definitely got to get you on again, buddy. I yeah. had a blast just listening to you and your wealth of knowledge and I was looking on your website before we get on today and I I find myself wanting to try some of your stuff. So I'll probably be making some orders pretty soon and try some of your stuff. But definitely would love to have you on for part two because like like Nicholson, there's a whole lot more we can talk about with you. So thank, thank you. you. you know, there's there's one last thing I'd like to just present about the microbiome and that's a lot of people think, oh, I digest fine. My microbiome is fine. Microbiome Digestion is one of many things. There's plenty of people with wreck microbiomes that digest all right. Um, so what I, I what I normally tell you know we do consultations and you know people will call up and I say well what are you looking at fixing and they'll give me like these ten things and then I and then it's obvious one of the main things is going on is your microbiome. I'm like let's address this first. Like what about these other things? I'm like you may not need to once your gut's fixed. Those all might be echoes. Those might be second level events. If you get the gut fixed, but I digest fine, I'm like, yeah, but you need to wipe how many times? Like, yeah, I'm like, okay, so your gut's out. You got to just get that into your head. If you need toilet paper, your gut is out. And if your gut is out, it's full stop, fix that. Before you go down the rabbit hole with all of these expensive and interesting and powerful protocols to, to alter this and change that and move that around, don't reinvent the wheel. That, though, many of those things, if not all of them, are probably in the wheelhouse of your microbiome, which is happy to do it for you in exchange for a little bit of fiber that you can't digest anyway, some oligosaccharides. So just want to kind of make that clear. 
Love that. Because that, that's, I mean, that's an actionable item. And it's also, just, you can literally monitor that tomorrow morning if you start doing the right things, if if that's happening for you. So uh, I love that you put a, a little thumbnail on that one. We'll pick up, <laughs> we'll pick up on that one on part two. <laughs> uh, amazing. Thank you so much, Spencer. Spencer, thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Oh, and yeah. before we go, just, just a reminder, Remedy Link. Anything else you want to say about your, your website or how people can get the products? Uh, yeah, you know, if, uh, if, the kind of things I'm talking about make sense to you and you want to try them, it's uh, www.remedylink.com. We've got, I don't know, 10, 20 hours of video up there for people that like to kind of do deep dives into various subjects. And, um, you know, also if you've got something in particular that's going on that you're kind of curious about, if we can help with, you know, our phone number's on there. Just give us a call. Happy to awesome. chat. Yeah, I love it. We'll put that in the show notes too. Awesome. Yeah, let's, uh, let's find a time for part two, Spencer. And thanks again. Enjoy your day. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to subscribe to the Dr. Dads and share with your family and friends. You can also follow and interact with Dr. Nick and Dr. David on Facebook and Instagram for a daily dose of inspiration and the latest in health and wellness. Be well.